Hey, this is Garrett, the producer of Connecting ALS. On Wednesday, we were fortunate to have Gary and Kathy in the Connectivity Center. They were here to share their experiences as caregivers with our support group as part of National Caregivers Month. Each had a lot to say, and we felt like this was something worth sharing for those who could not be in attendance. So I will turn it over to the two of you, do you unless you want further introduction. Okay. Gary, Kathy. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. So I guess I'll introduce myself. My name is Kathy, and um, actually my husband died, it will be five years ago on Monday. So um, quite a while, but not really. And I still miss him, but um, life goes on, and I have two adult children that have gotten married. Um, I have a boyfriend <laughs> that I've met. Um, and I retired and I'm traveling and doing things. So um, I just remember that I came to a meeting like this and I met a man who happened to be named Jeff. And one of the things, I mean, and so he also had lost his spouse. That was a couple of years ago. And just seeing that, um, you know, he was comfortable and that things were moving on and that he, that he was actually okay really gave me a lot of hope for myself that then allowed me to focus on all the things I needed to do and just not worry about that part. And so I, I just wanted to um, maybe give that message because it was really helpful to me. So anyway. <laughs> uh, Gary, um, my wife died a little over three and a half years ago. Uh, like Kathy said, it, it three and a half years sounds like a long time, and sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I also had two grown children. I have uh, three grandchildren. Uh, babysat the youngest one yesterday, and the two older ones tomorrow. Uh, I worked for a couple of years uh, after she died, and uh, retired just over a year ago. Um, Took a year off not doing anything, uh, did a lot of traveling, and I now started volunteering to help out here. Uh, the people here, as I'm sure you all know, they're, they're angels. Uh, these, can't say enough good things about them, and so I thought I'd return some of what I got from them. Um, that's about it for me. So I think we're we're supposed to answer questions, or if you if you have topics that you um, are top of mind that you'd like uh, us to comment on, or I have a couple notes too. I don't know where. Yeah, I, start. I want to comment about the uh, caregivers. Uh, I went to the caregivers uh, meeting for uh, probably a couple of years, and I got a lot out of it. I, I had gone once right after the diagnosis and thought, oh, I, I don't need this. Uh, but after, after a while, I thought, well, maybe I'll go back again. And then I was a regular. Um, it was good to hear other people talk about their experiences. Uh, it was a very strong learning experience and also a way to share what I had experienced. And uh, I found that, that caregivers' uh, meetings were, were very, very useful and very helpful. So, so I, I don't know, do you still have the one that's online? 
So I would participate in a, a caregivers meeting that was that was on well it was, I mean you you listened in it was like a, it was like a phone conference call or something like that and um, it worked really convenient because I had the flexibility at work to be able to schedule that as a meeting on my calendar and then I would I would listen in and it was interesting because it was it was throughout the. Uh, Minnesota and North Dakota for people that actually didn't live in the Twin Cities, but it was actually really helpful too. And so I would echo um, Gary's thoughts on that, but that was a different way to kind of access the same thing. So that was helpful. I just wanted to hear a little bit more about your wife and your husband, like how old they were and how long they lived with ALS. And, sure. You know, just, just a personal Great. note. So my husband, let's see, God, I got to figure this out. He died when he was 60, so he must have been 56. And um, so, so he lived with ALS for about three years, so he wasn't quite 60. And it was it's kind of weird because um, we were a very um, athletic family, and we camped and hiked and skied and did all sorts of kinds of stuff. And it kind of started and we were in a master ski training group and it's like he's like cat look at this and like his muscles are just popping like all over in weird places and you know we were like okay well that's really weird and it kept going and then and then he would, he would start losing strength and that's when um, he started seeing a doctor and I, so let's see I kind of symptoms were maybe like May June and then a diagnosis in December and then pretty much 3 years after that is when he passed away. Right. I would say that the first year and a half, um, you know, I mean, you're you're sad and you have a lot of, um, you know, you're nervous and and you got a lot of things going on, but are actually not that difficult in terms of, um, you know, managing living and daily living tours and stuff like that. Last nine months were definitely a lot more challenging. And um, my advice to everybody <laughs> is, you know, just you, you got to make decisions. And um, what I think was really hard for us was you still don't want any of this to happen. And that is like, well, like we don't need to worry about that yet. Well, we, the, the minute you think that you need to worry about it is the time that you actually should act so that you're kind of ahead of the game. And you just end up just being behind. And so if, if you can mentally get yourself to the place that when you think of it, you need to make a decision about it. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, like um, stair type of devices to help going up and down the stairs and stuff. Um, you know, just accommodations in your house, um, like thresholds. And it, it's, it's like <laughs> the place that was the biggest problem was our friggin' front door because it, it wasn't, it, it was like flat. It was supposed to be level, right? But it was actually an inch gap. And you're just like, geez. <laughs> and I mean, but the, and there's, there's, there's things that will solve every problem that you have if you just know that it's going to be a problem. So those kind of things. So. Uh, <clears throat> my wife was diagnosed in February of 2011. Uh, she had had uh, foot droop, you know, where the front of your foot won't lift up, and went in. She actually worked for a neurologist, neurology clinic, uh, so she had it checked out, and so that's when we found out. And uh, she died in February 2016. So 
she got five years, uh, started in her feet, kind of worked its way up, and her hands worked its way in. Uh, we were also hikers, um, so that kind of went by the wayside, but uh, she worked for about a, probably about a year and a half after the diagnosis, um, and then uh, stayed home. Uh, kind of, well, from what Kathy was saying about, you know, acting on things, we, we I anyway, took it as a one day at a time sort of thing because uh, I found that if I was trying to look too far in the future, uh, I got scared. And so I, I shortened up how far in the future I was going to look. Um, diagnosed in February, we had a two-story house, which obviously wasn't going to work. So by July, we had sold it, moved into a one-story. And uh, we had actually come to one of these meetings, I had come to one of these meetings, and that particular meeting was about access. So access to a house, uh, access to, to vehicles. And uh, I got a lot of good information out of that. Uh, decided not to put a ramp in outside because I didn't like the thought of that. A ramp inside the garage would have meant room for one car. So we actually got a, an elevator uh, by the back door. It takes up minimal space, easy on, easy off. Uh, we've got a minivan. Um, you can get the side or you can get the rear. And from what I had gathered from the meeting, I went with the rear entry because you can park anywhere. And with the side, you always got to find yeah. that parking spot where you got room on the side. So went with the rear entry. Um, that would be a good idea for another reason too, because if you come in the side, you have to come in and then you have to turn. Yep. And making that turn um, was not always. <laughs> yeah, easy. I mean you had to have that lift. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. the rear entry, you just drive straight in, and she parked right behind the drivers, and she could park. You know, somebody else sitting there, we could talk and chat, and and she'd back out. Uh, it was a manual ramp, but it was made out of aluminum, so probably weighed maybe 15 pounds. So it, it was a breeze to open it up. Uh, probably a conversation for another time. Can I uh, add, can I add something about the the, the ramps and the, the vehicles though? Um, what we what we first had was um, like a strapping mechanism, and doing it in the rain in December was like not cool, right? And so it was really limiting on the amount of times you go out because it's like, okay, open this door, do this, come around back, do this, over here, do this, over here, do this, and it, and it's like really this is <laughs> ridiculous. But when we when we found out that you can get like um it's like a key that's on the bottom of the wheelchair that then hooks into like a Thing like this and you just drive into it and it locks and it's like oh my god this is like so much easier. and then then like you know like it didn't matter if we did five stops or two stops or whatever it didn't matter what the weather was because you did it in the garage it was just like oh so much better <laughs> so I'm a big advocate of the key on the thing yeah and, and one thing I need to point out and I'm sure you hear about it in all these meetings this these are our experiences, yeah. and yours are going to differ. But it's just, like I said, it's 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 hearing other people and how they solve problems. That yeah. it's it, it may help you. So that that's why I'm saying this stuff. Uh, 
Excuse me. The rear van, did you ever have any problems, like in a parking lot, people having to wait? And... No, I, I actually... That, that's what we're kind of... Yeah, I no, because uh, it doesn't go out into traffic. It, 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 it only came out probably about so far. So, and I got an orange traffic cone at the hardware store. So yeah, I'd lower the ramp, put the orange cone out there, and no, we, we never had any problem with people waiting on us. Okay, good, thank you. Mm -hmm. Answer everything? Okay. I was also curious, as caregivers, what was the source of the biggest support for you? Um, you both mentioned you know, the ALS Association. They are definitely very, very helpful. But how did you how did you navigate times that you really needed some additional help? Or, um, well, support? we were fortunate enough that the fall before her diagnosis, we'd gotten long-term care insurance. And so that paid for caregivers. So I could go to work and the whole time and there'd be somebody there with her. So <laughs> most fortuitous. Uh, but the ALS Association also has the respite program. And that's one thing that uh, I found very useful. It was nice to know that uh, I could take off for three hours on a weekend and go shopping, run errands, uh, just sit and read somewhere at the library or something, and know that there was somebody you know at home with my wife taking care of her. Uh, so the respite program was big. Uh, they're also tied in with the sing thing, and that does the speech recognition and all that kind of stuff, so that was a biggie. But as like I said, the, the people that work here, they, they'll do anything for you. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with the loan closet. Wow. Loan closet is awesome. <clears throat> that if you're not using the loan closet, man, you're missing out on something. Yeah, the loan the loan closet was great. Um, you know, it was it was really a collection of a whole bunch of different situations. Um, so I, we don't have any family that lives in town. All of our, our siblings and our parents live out of town. So it wasn't like a, a family network that was really helping us out. I, I had some really good friends and I had my friends that, uh, that you know, were I called them the entertainment committee. And so they're, they were just really good friends of ours and their job was to think of fun things to do. And sometimes they would just take my husband because he really liked baseball and I am absolutely, I can't, it's just so boring. I can't stand it. So they would they would take them to a base. You know, they take the van and they would take them to a baseball game. And then I actually got some time to do other things. I had another friend who just came over to my house every Monday, and made dinner. And actually, you know, as time went on, actually fed my husband dinner. And Monday night was my night. Um, I raced sailboats, and so it was my sailboat racing night. And actually, her husband was crude for me. And so she, and then, and then she just did it. She did this for two years. Every Monday night, she would come over and make dinner, and then I would have that as an opportunity to go do something else. Um, like I said, the the, the there's some volunteer services. Um, we had some PCAs. We had, um, you know, some um, aides that came into the house. Um, my husband was a very shy person, and 
really actually really appreciated as alone time. So having a lot of people around was actually not his thing. Um, so uh, that was um, a little bit. Um, it was a little bit more nerve wracking for me because he really, you know, like he didn't want a whole bunch of people. So it's like, okay, well, from one to three then. <laughs> and it was almost like a little bit of a negotiating thing here. Because um, if he didn't want him around, he'd send him home. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? But um, so it was, it was a combination of things. Um, and, I'll, I'll, you know, it worked. It worked. Sir? I just have a question. We have a 16-year, well, a grandson, 16, mm -hmm. and have become caregiver for our son, who's now in his seventh year. Wow. Originally with a three to five year uh, diagnosis. But I just wondered, what has been the reaction of your family members? Particularly, I don't know how many children either one of you might have had. Yeah. But how do you handle it with your own families, uh, uh, the imminence of death much sooner than than any of us probably expected. And I just wonder, and I know others in the room that may contribute to that question, uh, to the answer, because uh, uh, is it a learning experience? Are they, uh, have you made them aware of the imminence of death in, with their mother or father? Uh, I'm just, I don't know how to handle it. Different people handle it differently. Well, I think I think that's probably the statement right there. It's different people handle it differently, and um, like, you know, I just wanted to handle all situations with grace. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And you're you're not gonna do that, and so you have to cut yourself some slack. But trying to handle all situations with grace, and some people are capable um, at a young age. Some people, older people, are not even capable at all to ha to handle the emotional situation. Um, my children were in college, and so they weren't living at home um, when this first happened. My oldest son um, went, uh, he went and lived in Alaska for a year, and then came, came back and actually lived with us, which I, was not um, my best idea, or our best idea. And part of, part of it was is because I don't think that there was enough age gap between, I mean, could he do it today? Absolutely. At, 23 could he that right he was he was still his father's son and there was still that relationship and that that dynamic that um didn't really work all that well um my youngest son was still in undergraduate school and so um and their personalities are really different so finally got the oldest one to move back out into an apartment and then that went then, then he was actually really capable of being very helpful because he would come over and he's like, okay, well, I'll, you know, Dad and I are going to go for a drive today. And they take the van. And I don't know where the heck they would go. They would just drive all over the place. And, and he could handle it for a day. He just couldn't handle living there. It wasn't constant. Uh, uh, right, right. Um, my youngest son um, is very much like his father and is a very shy, quiet person. And um, I was really, really worried about him. Um, and so... I actually, he was going to Madison, so I actually set up um, with, um, I, and I think I got the information from either Ann or Jennifer as to a group in Madison. And um, I had a friend come and stay at the house for the weekend, and I went down there, and I met with him 
and this group in Madison. And it turns out he just didn't know what to do. And, and like, it's like, you know, just come home and visit once, you know, maybe once, once a month or something like that. Just come home for the weekend and visit. You don't have to do anything, just visit, just be there. And like, as soon as he was given an assignment <laughs> that he could do, then he was then he was fine. Otherwise, he didn't know what to do. Um, my family wanted to be really helpful, but but I have a sister, right? I don't have any brothers, and so there's no way on earth my husband wanted my sister in there <laughs> helping do any of this stuff. There is there there isn't anything. It would have been so uncomfortable for him and you that you know you just have to understand that, right? Everybody's just different and hopefully you can treat each situation with grace hopefully i hope yeah my my uh, daughter was married at the time we got the diagnosis and uh actually had a baby uh like maybe a year later so uh my son my, my grandson uh has vague memories of his grandmother and uh uh, but I tell you what, every weekend, almost every weekend, they would come down to our house from St. Michael. Uh, so I, I tell you, I, that was phenomenal. That, that's quite a hike with two, well, one kid and then two kids eventually. Uh, and my son uh, lived nearby. Uh, so he and, and my wife had a standing date to, to watch So You Think You Can Dance. <laughs> so, nice. Uh, uh, and he would he would give me a spell if I needed to run errands or something. He'd come over and 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 take care of her, which was helped her go to the bathroom. So you know a little bit of an eye opener there for him, I think. Um, one thing we did, and this is not a, a product plug, but uh, Hallmark sells recordable books where you can use your own voice to read the story. And my wife did four of those for the grandchildren. Oh, uh, nice! And yeah, they they still listen to them, and so I thought that was that was a good idea. I thought I'd pass that on. Um, Very nice. Yeah, you don't want to go too long because when your voice goes, obviously that's not going to work anymore. Um, what else? Uh, my wife has a sister who lives in Denver, and uh, uh, she came up every couple of months for a weekend just to be with her sister, so that was nice. Anything else? Speaking of recording, um, one of, like I have a note here because this is one of the things I wanted to make sure <laughs> that I said. Um, one of the things that was challenging for my husband, like we had this collection of caregivers and it was, I mean, you know, there, there's probably 20 different people coming to my house at, at different times, right? For, for schedules and things like that. And it's like, okay. So he you know, was a little bit fussy about certain things and particularly brushing his teeth. But anyway, how, how he liked things done um, and then having to communicate that and then keep re-communicating that to this host of people that eventually were helpful um we got an ipad and i had my son video me doing whatever the task was and so then i was i was talking about it and i was doing it and then he could play this for whatever caregiver happened to be there um even multiple times and so the caregiver said that they really liked it my husband really liked it because then people did things the way 
he preferred. And, and then you could kind of repeat it. And so that was probably one of the best things we did. It was the best use of iPad I've ever had. So um, it was a suggestion that really worked for us. Yeah, Going on one. the video. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. one. But, Thank you. Yeah. Did either of you use hospice services? Yes. In, we, in home. We, we uh, got in a hospice program uh, towards the end, uh, and the doctor came out, you know, for the interview with the patient sort of thing, and, and Kathy was, was uh, pretty far gone at the time. Uh, so we didn't really use hospice per se uh the doctor on on tuesday when he saw her uh kathy asked how much longer she had and he said well based on what you're eating and drinking and your health he said maybe six to eight weeks and she died thursday night mm -hmm. so do you wish she would have started hospice earlier or when well uh she had hurt her back and so she was in pain from that and i wish she didn't want to oh. basically yeah, uh, i would i would echo that she looked at it that that hospice is the end that means i'm going to die and so she was putting it off as long as she could but what they had was medication that you can take for the pain and i i i started her on it then after the doctor was there and i think that's why she she did uh die so quickly was because then she was relaxed and she wasn't struggling anymore um, so i i wish she had done it earlier so she would have been out of pain but she had to do it when she was ready and so the i the the nurses and the and the doctor were wonderful i mean they were they were very caring and and very nice people so I, I would echo a pretty similar experience. So it was hospice was supposed to be in home hospice, and maybe maybe like the last week is when we used it, and we could have we could have done a lot more. Um, I don't think that he was ready to do that. I don't, I don't think he was really particularly interested. Um, one of the things that I wished he would have considered, um, because it would have would have allowed you know more friends to visit and and be be available to him and keep him company um so the question is whether he wanted that or not or whether whether he understood that that's what it would allow I'm not really sure I think we I would you know wish we would have started it sooner um but it's it's definitely available why would that have changed um visiting hours of, you know, hospice versus not. Um, so, so there, there's like, there's in-home kind, and then there's like, a, you can go some, you can go to hospice house. And that was one thing that he had thought about, but um, elected not to do, which, which is completely fine. But I think if he would have considered that when, when, you know, things were, were very difficult, um, that it would have allowed people to come and visit for very short periods of time and, you know, say hi, hi to him. And a hospice facility. Yes, 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 yeah, that's what I meant. 
So I can see where people wouldn't really want to do that, but I could see that being a really do nice option. I think it would have been easier on the family uh, having your husband in a hospice facility? Gosh, I, you know, I don't know. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, what, what, so a very good friend of mine's um, mother passed away, not from ALS, just, um, you know, she was 87 and that it was just the end of her. And so the last week that she was alive, she was in a hospice facility. And as far as the family was concerned and friends, uh, you know, people could stop by at lunch, they could stop by, after, right? And I, and I think that it, it worked really, really well for everybody. Mm. Um, and being one of the friends that visited, right? And it's like, oh, wow, that could have been really nice. Was, and I mean, because that happened afterwards. And I wished I would have known that it could have been like that. Not, not that I think he wanted to be any place but home. But, but there's, there's lots of things to think about. That, that was kind of, uh, Kathy wanted to, st oddly enough, my wife's name is Kathy. <laughs> I was going to say it was Kathy. Yeah. So when I got the email saying, Gary and Kathy, that, and I thought, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, whoa. Uh, my wife didn't want to go to hospice. Uh, and I, I'm, we were fortunate, I'm a, a big guy. My wife was 5'4". So I could lift her, carry her, position her so we, we didn't have uh, you know problems getting her around uh, and we had one of the what the heck do they call them the, the you know, we had one of the, the yeah the, the list for yeah. you know so the the aides that were in during the day could get her up into a wheelchair to get her to the bathroom or whatever uh, but when I was home I, I I didn't have any problem you know handling her um, and you know she she definitely did not want to do hospice in the in you know in a home she wanted to stay home and so we were able to do that so what i found particular oh sorry no, go ahead. so what i found particularly challenging um maybe like the last two months was um you know um, i'm sure you guys are well aware that you don't sleep very much right and sleeping is really uncomfortable and you know that was going going pretty well um until maybe like three months before he passed away and then like he would would like wake me up three, four, five times a night. It's like, okay, I can't do this. And so then that means that now you need some in-home help overnight, which he absolutely didn't want to do, but we had some really nice, um, actually they were um, nursing students and, and re really, really kind people. And this one woman, I mean, a girl actually, was just amazing. But otherwise, like, I'm not getting any sleep either, and that that then is really unhelpful. And I think he was just so uncomfortable, and um, you know, so I, I worried about that a lot. But um, those are those are some of the the things to think about too. Is is how uncomfortable you're going to be, and you know, part of it is um, just just repositioning because he c couldn't reposition himself and just needed to have somebody reposition him, position him probably every couple hours at night, right? So how are you gonna accommodate that? And I mean, it didn't go on for very long, right? That was just maybe a couple months, but, but by then you're, by then you're kind of tired, right? So, um, we, yeah. How did you get connected with the, with the students? Um, gosh. We, uh, as I'm sure you've all experienced, there are 
a lot of companies yep. that do nursing or, or uh, yep. what do they call home well home health care yeah yep. different titles for the whatever but uh, and we we had some good aids and we had some bad aids yes you need to interview uh, well even the interview sometimes yeah. but at any rate don't be afraid to say we don't want you coming back anymore you've got to be able to say that uh, and we did at, at the end there the last probably year or so. Uh, we got in with a company that mostly hired nursing students, and that was the age that you got were nursing students, and uh, wow, made a big difference. Yes. And so, I, like I said, tell them you don't want that person anymore. Give them a shot. Maybe they've got somebody better in the wings, but you know, don't be afraid to say, we don't want this person anymore. So I think, I was just saying there was like a fair, there was like a home health aid fair or something like that. Just, you know, like they have RV shows and this kind of stuff. And so we got, a, and I don't remember when it is. I'm pretty sure, did I get that information from you, Jennifer? I don't. I, at any rate, there, there are quite a few companies Right, and we we actually had several that we, we we worked with. Maybe you know what? It might have been through the social worker that I got that information. Right. It was a good resource. So the yeah. NALS clinic. That social worker there also may have some yeah. input about that. Yeah. yeah. Now. Sorry. <laughs> Did either of you have to have to um, with your spouses um, talk about ventilators? At the end. Talk about what? Ventilators. If they oh. Want. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so we, we did. We, well, when earlier on, uh, not just ventilators, but uh, the feeding tube, for example, uh, we had done, went to the hospital, got, you know, checked out and everything, actually had an appointment to have one put in. And then uh, my wife decided that she didn't want any artificial aids. So uh, no feeding tube, no ventilator. She didn't want to do that. Uh, she didn't want to prolong it. She said, yeah, I, I might be able to go on several more months or, or longer. He says, but it's at the end of it when I'm going to be ready for it to be done. So she chose not to. But I that was her choice. So my, hus my husband made the same choice. But I think part of it too depends on what what your onset is, right? And with him, it was in in his limbs, and so those were some of the later symptoms instead of some of the earlier ones, right? But he he elected not to do that. And I want to stress again that these are our experiences; yeah. they aren't yours or your loved ones. It it this is just how we handle things. So, yeah, but everybody makes their own choice. Great of you too to do this. <laughs> so Well, I have a couple things that I wrote down here that were really um, things that worked really well for us. And so um, one of my, I call it the red cooler concept, but it was just, it was just great. So, like, uh, you know, like there's um, like websites where you can have people sign up to provide help and stuff. And that never really worked for us. And there's, there's a couple other things like that um where you know people can oh we'll do your yard we'll do this we'll do that um i didn't have kids living at home so i didn't need a lot of carpool services and so everything else was not like really all that scheduled 
But the red cooler, um, and I, I think I've read about it from some online blog post or something like that. And so I had my friend manage the red cooler and it sat on my front porch and people would sign up to cook something and then they put it in the red cooler whenever. Like, And then I get home from work and like, oh my God, there's beef barbecue in my red cooler with a salad. And then I would do the dishes, I put them back in the red cooler and they'd come and pick them up and like, it's, it's, Right? And so, you know, I, not every night by, by a long shot, I couldn't eat that much food anyway. But, um, you know, maybe once or twice a week, somebody would put something in the red cooler. So you have the red cooler out every Yeah, I just left on my front porch. Nobody bothered it. And then I, and then I put the clean dishes back in there, and then people come and collect their own dishes. And, and you know, it, it's, it's like elves or something. And, and it, it sounds maybe like a little bit unfriendly with your friends and stuff, but, you know, you get home from York, and you're just really busy, and you're tired, and you just need to get on with the program, and having to socialize for 45 minutes with somebody to stop by to drop something off is probably not what you want to do. And then, and, and so it, you know, so, it's a little, so it kind of solved a lot of those problems. And I don't, I don't know that my, my friends necessarily want to come in and socialize either because they were busy. And so people just drop stuff off in the red cooler and it's like, oh. So cool. was, what is that story, The Shoemaker's Wife or something like that where the elves come and do the mm -hmm. stuff at night? Yeah, it was great. So I really like the red cooler. That worked really good. Excuse me. Do people know what the red cooler is all about? Well, so I, I you know, um, one of my friends, I, like I gave her the emails of a whole bunch of people that I knew that I thought would do it, and then and then she she would ask people to sign up, and and she had like a calendar or something like that, and so people could just sign up. So a friend managed it for me. Um, Yep, right. So that kind of worked out pretty slick. Um, let's see the other thing. Go ahead. Gentleman back here. Yeah. I have a question. Uh, you feel great not to answer, but so Sarah was joined hospice in July, and she was given three to six months. Um, but like to me, she seems normal, you know, and so. This question is really personal, but I'm curious what it was like in the final days. Like, did you know that they were going to die, or what? Did it seem sudden? Were they normal? I just, I don't know. It's like, I'm scared that I'm gonna just wake up tomorrow, yep. and she's gonna be dying, and I'm not gonna know what happened. I guess like it's gonna seem like more of a surprise. Not really well, like I said, for my wife. And maybe you've experienced this too, but she would plateau. So she would, she would get noticeably worse, and then stay the same, and then get worse and stay the same. Uh, towards the end, when we were thinking about the hospice, she had gotten, she had been kind of going on the down, and um, I kind of had to. She couldn't speak very well. Uh, you know, her lungs were just starting to go. So you know, I, I and then repeat it and so on. Like I said, it was the hospice doctor came in on Tuesday. He got six to eight weeks, and she died on Thursday. So, uh, yeah, I was taken by surprise. <laughs> I really thought I had more time. Um, so, yeah, that was a shocker. Uh, but, yeah, I, I knew it was going to be real soon, just from what the hospice doctor said. 
So, um, like I said, Monday will be the fifth anniversary. So, um, this is this is this is actually really kind of sad. But um, so my father-in-law, um, my husband's dad, um, he died nine days before my husband did. And I think that kind of kind of took the wind out of his sails a little bit. And so, um, gosh, it was it was like November 1st, November 1st or 2nd, my father-in-law died, and then he passed away on the 11th. And um, what we did is, obviously, there's no way he could go to his dad's funeral. Um, but we we FaceTimed in with relatives and stuff, and so which was which was kind of cool because he could have it sitting on his lap, and so I actually looked at the ceiling fan so that nobody would see see his his face and how sad he was and stuff, and so that kind of I think that kind of precipitated maybe um, a little bit earlier demise, but I wasn't expecting him to make it past the first of the year anyway, so you know two months or something. Um, and I remember we had, I had a meeting in the house with a social worker and some caregiver representatives because we, I just needed to get more people in to help um, because the overnight stuff was getting really, really challenging. And, you know, we were having a meeting in this house and my friend came in um, and was spending time with, with my husband. Well, we had this meeting and, you know, we, we, we were all sitting, we got the plan and he died that night. <laughs> It was like three hours later. I'm like, well, not expected. It was not what I expected, but. So there wasn't like specific physical signs. So at, the, at this point in time, he was choking a lot. And so he, he had a choking episode that had been going on for quite a while. And I think that, do you know, you know I mean, it's like all these combinations. I think he chose. Actually, I think he picked that time. My wife died overnight, so Friday morning was when uh, I found her. And, and like I said, she just she she just been going down and just like went to sleep normally. And so, yeah, it was it was it was a surprise. So I don't I don't know if this is the romantic answer or not, but but after this meeting, um, he was he like we had. Um, like uh, we were able to make a one floor living arrangement in our house. And so we had a bed that actually it happened to be in the TV room, but we left the TV there. And so he was up in bed. And so I was just sitting next to him. And this was after all these meetings and we were, you know, he finally stopped choking. It was kind of relaxing. And we were just, I was just sitting there and he just stopped breathing. Right. And so, the romantic part of it is, is like, I was there. there, right next to him. He wasn't by himself. It really freaked me out, though. Mm -hmm. I must admit, because <laughs> I didn't know what was happening at first. Pardon? Having your spouse pass away in your house. I thought it would be, but no. It wasn't. No. No. I, no. I, and afterwards, you did. I thought it would be, and it wasn't. It was. Yeah, no. No. Yeah. Because she was where she wanted to be, so no, it didn't bother me. I, I worried about that for a lot, a long time prior prior to this happening. And um, I'm, I must admit, so the first thing I did was I called the, the social worker, and that kind of started the process. And I absolutely could not watch them take him out of my house. But other than that, um, like 
I still live in the house today, I thought it would be the first thing I'd sell, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I thought there would be all sorts of, you know, ghosts, if you will. And no, it's, it's like not a problem. So looking at that space or walking in that room? No. That's not... Uh, no, it is so. So we we had like a, a handicapped shower built into this room, and it's now my beer brewing room. <laughs> so, it's been reported. Well, spare, and it was something that he liked to do, so it's fine. <laughs> I we had a king size bed. I had my side. She had her side, and for a long time, I still slept on my side because that was my side. And then I got to thinking about that. Well, I'm washing the laundry, and half of it hasn't been used. So <laughs> now I, I, you know, one week. Well, I do one week on my side, one week on her side, and then I wash it. <laughs> you mentioned the bed, and that's a question I was going to ask. You never went to a hospital bed then for so um, that's one of the things that you can actually get out of the loan pool, and we tried it, and he he just didn't like it. Um, and so we got, um, there comes a point in time, well, I, I couldn't sleep there anymore, right? So um, we got a, it was like a double bed that, that I don't know, it's not a sleep number, but I don't know. The ones that the heads and the toes raised, right? They're they're all over the TV on ads, right? And he was actually really comfortable in that. Um, because you could get the feet up and you could get the back up. Um and he didn't didn't like the hospital bed, but I think um he might have tried it too soon, right? Um, because it definitely has like a like a spot that your butt goes. And, right, and I think that that was really uncomfortable for a while. But then the problem became, at, you, you lose your ability, and you just start sliding down, right? And so Gary's was bigger than his wife. I mean, <laughs> I was a lot smaller than my husband. And seriously, I would stand on that bed like this, and I would move him. That's how I would do it. Um, so that's where the, like I said, I think maybe we thought about it too soon. Did you use uh, bed boards? Or, I'm always afraid that he moves sideways. He goes up sideways, and we have a tendency to bed that goes up and down and all. Yeah. But I'm always afraid that he tends to get his feet sideways, and we, I'm afraid he's going to fall out of bed. So during the night, I'm waking up to make sure his, his head's still there. <laughs> his feet's still there. And we do have a bed board, but I still worry about that. So I don't, I don't recall that being a problem. Um, and so we had a, like a lift too, and I was very, I mean, other than the repositioning in bed, which was brute force, right? Um, you know, the bed comes up and then you, you get the harness, or, it, all that stuff was actually quite easy for a, a much smaller person to accommodate. I mean, he outweighed me by 100 pounds, <laughs> it was like no problem, so. Just a bed rail, on your bed. I don't. I don't recall there was much rolling around going on. So to use the the lift. Hoyer. Yeah, that's yes. it. That's it. Yeah, that one. Yeah, it's like a Y. Yeah. Oh. So you had no problem using the lift. Mm -mm. No, 
no, that worked, worked. Those things worked really, really well. And actually, I had um, the people that from one of the um, healthcare places come over and train me on how to just use a belt. And I, I, I could do it if I had to. You put a belt around their waist, and you just. And if you if you get the motion right, it's actually not very hard to do. But the but the Hoyer lift, um, it had like it had wheels that went under the bed. Right, and then it had a Y over it, and then there was a strap. And so, like, if I got him up, I could, you know, put the strap around his back, and then you just use. It was pretty slick. Mm-hmm. It was great for chairs too, because you just. Like, if you're curious about these things, go through the um, go through the clinic, PT or, or OT. Yeah. And go through the training yourself mm-hmm. before you think you need it. Wait, yeah, we've done. We have a higher lift sitting in our in our bedroom, but he's got a sheet over it. And the main reason it's there is to make sure she three members be careful okay. and not fall down. No, we I, haven't had to use it. Yet. No, it's in my bedroom yep. in the corner with the sheet over it because I'm giving it the stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think just one quick question. Both of you seem to your partner seem to have a peaceful death. I think so. Was that facilitated by any medical or, I mean, not a cat question. Yeah. But uh, was the medication that was being taken at the time, did it facilitate the peaceful death? So he didn't want to take any of that stuff. I will make a comment on antidepressants, though, okay, that, um, so he didn't, he didn't want any, he, he wanted to be, Fully present, and so he didn't. He didn't want to do any of that. So, so that so that was fine. But um, he did take antidepressants maybe for a year and a half, and that was actually really huge, right? And I, I can't, you know, I can't say it's like oh, like you know, you know, Jekyll Hyde. But but it was, he was just much more relaxed, yeah. and um, and I think happier. Right, and less worrying or something like that, and so that was that was probably the thing that I thought was really helpful. My wife uh, insisted she was not depressed; she was merely sad, and so she did not do the antidepressants. And you know, for conditions, she seemed to be in you know good spirits. Uh, I do think the drugs hastened her death just because they allowed her to relax. Uh, they were opiates and. They brought a big bag of them, so I had to haul them down to the police station to get yeah. rid of them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not take them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they did just because just they let her relax. Uh, I thank you so much for your candid Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Connecting ALS. We have a lot more great content planned for the upcoming months, so be sure to visit connectingals.org for ways to subscribe and connect with us via social media. Connecting ALS is produced by me, Garrett Tiedemann, from the headquarters of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter in St. Paul, Minnesota.